Well, hey, good morning, everybody. I'm glad you're here together. Uh, my name is Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here at Bethany. I work with our home churches and with our adult discipleship team. And today we're going to look at a story that is probably familiar to many of us, that is going to sound strange at parts to most of us. And then I think a lot of us have probably misunderstood its meaning and its intent. And as we've been doing through this series, we've been looking at parts of our Bible to better understand them and maybe be more aware of um, how does this point us to Jesus? Put another way, we want to ask the question, why is this here and what does this teach us, especially in terms of knowing and following Jesus? And so that's what we want to ask as we look at the story of Gideon. Again, a story that we're probably familiar uh, to, probably most of us anyways. That is going to sound strange to a lot of us, but again, that I think we might have misunderstood the intent and the purpose of that. Because if you're familiar with the story of Gideon, you probably have one thing come to mind already, which is this, this sheep's fleece. And part of that story is the idea that while we've used Gideon as an example of how to trust God, uh, what I found often is that we point to Gideon as an example of how to put our faith in God, which it's actually kind of funny because when you read the story, that's actually the opposite of what we find for the most part. And it's not only funny for that reason, but it's funny because of where we find the story, which is in, it's in the book of Judges, which if you know anything about the book of Judges, when you read that book, what you find is that it's essentially a collection of brutal tragedy and disturbing violence, specifically because people did not trust God. That's why this was happening. So this is a story from Judges where people typically do not trust God. And so maybe the way we should be thinking about this is maybe this isn't a story to emulate so much as a story to warn and to form us. And it's in that setting, it's in that collection of stories in the book of Judges that we get to the story and the account of Gideon. So we're going to start reading in chapter 6 and we'll see why this isn't so much a story of Gideon's faith but actually much more a story of God's faithfulness. And then I want to take some time to help us see how this, this, is, this can help us point to following Jesus well um, as well. So Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 1. So the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites were hiding, sorry, that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. Um, they left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. And then jumping to verse 6. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. So uh, the Sparks Notes version of this is simply, things are really hard, life is pretty miserable, and it's because people just won't trust God. Which I know, I know can sound a little drastic to us, mainly because we don't like the idea of suffering, do we? No, we don't. I mean, I know that none of us woke up this morning saying, hmm, you know, I could really go for a good dose of struggle and suffering this morning. No, like that's not what any of us wanted. Um, I, I know that that's not how we operate. We don't like the idea of suffering, but even more so, we certainly don't like the idea that suffering might be caused, at least in our part, by our actions, right? Like, that is not what we like to think about. I mean, okay, so, come on, like, I have been at home and I have stubbed my toe on a piece of furniture or something, and the first thought that comes to mind is, ah, oh, those kids, right? Like, I'm not alone in that. I can't be. 
I mean, how many of us have done something mildly catastrophic and then we go ahead and say something like, well, I wouldn't have done that if you hadn't dot, 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 fill in the blank. We hate the idea that we might be agents of our own suffering. It's just not something we're comfortable with. But the opening of the story, I think, is reminding us that this can, in fact, be the case and that Israel is in this incredibly brutal situation because they're not trusting God, because they aren't listening to God. The opening line is, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, which is shorthand for they worshipped other gods through practices like child sacrifice and through other practices that we today would just label as various forms of abuse. So that's the context. And because of this, God has allowed this suffering and struggle in their lives. And this shouldn't actually surprise us because we actually know that hurtful and selfful actions, well, they lead to struggle and suffering, don't they? Hurtful and selfish actions, they consistently lead to struggle and suffering. This is true now. This is true thousands of years ago. And we actually don't need the Bible to tell us this, but it certainly, it certainly does affirm it. Now, does this mean that uh, all suffering is a sign that we're not trusting God? No, of course not. That is certainly not what I'm saying. That's not what this story is going to be talking about. Just a few books earlier in the Bible, we find Israel again suffering in Egypt. But it's not, it's not because Israel isn't trusting God. All of the suffering is actually pinned on the brutality of the Egyptian empire and their hurtful and selfish actions. Or let's just look at Jesus, right? Here's someone who suffered and died a brutal death, not because he didn't trust God. It was actually out of trusting God that it happened. The point isn't that if you trust God, things are good, and if you don't, things are bad. That is actually simplistic and self-centered thinking, and that is not Christianity. But it does help explain, it does help explain why Israel is in this spot right now and set the stage for the next part of the story, which is where we get to meet Gideon. So verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belongs to Joash of the clan of, of Abizar. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. So the story quickly shifts to the angel of the Lord showing up where Gideon is threshing some wheat in a pit because he's hiding. And he's been doing, he's doing that because if the enemy army, if the Midianites find him there, they're going to take his food and probably harm him as well. And there, the angel of the Lord says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. To which Gideon looks up and responds, yeah, if the Lord is with us, then why is all this happening? What's the deal with that? Which is really just a polite way of saying, whatever you say, man, but if God is really with us, if he really cares about us, why is all this bad stuff happening? Essentially, God is asking the question, is God trustworthy? Is God trustworthy? And Gideon doesn't actually stop there. He says this, and where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and he's handed us over to the Midianites. And all of, this is, all of this is completely understandable in a lot of ways, isn't it? We can understand this. To look around and say, it doesn't feel like God is part of this. It doesn't feel like God is here with us, does it? Maybe you have a relationship or a friendship come to mind. Maybe it's something related to work. 
Maybe it's something with family or with health. And it, it comes to mind because it doesn't feel like God is there because things don't seem to be going well. We can understand that kind of response from Gideon, can't we? Because it's real and it's honest. It's real and it's honest. And I'm not, I'm not saying he's given the best response. Again, this is, this is from Judges, so we don't want to automatically assume that this was meant to be emulated. But it is an honest response. And God doesn't, get this, God doesn't get angry, does he? To an honest and real response, God doesn't get angry, which I think, I think that is the point we're supposed to notice. There's no fiery burst. There's no holy wrath in response to Gideon's comments. There's only an invitation to trust, an invitation to trust. Verse 14, then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. To which Gideon responds essentially by saying, how is this even possible? I'm the most insignificant person in the most insignificant clan in Israel. I am a nobody. Gideon has already pointed out that it doesn't feel like God is around, like he's part of anything good here. And now he's saying, look, I'm kind of a nobody. Has anybody else ever felt that way? Yeah, of course we have, right? Has anybody else ever felt like there's this deep crushing sense of imposter syndrome? Like there is no way that God could ever call me to be part of something good, let alone part of something redemptive and renewing. It just feels absurd. And if you've ever felt that way, you most certainly are not alone. We often can feel that way. But God's response in verse 16 is so important for us. He just says, I will be with you. And this again brings the focus back to the question, is God trustworthy? Can we trust God? Can we trust him to lead us into something even when it's challenging? Is that enough for us? Even when the situation is full of struggle and even when we feel insignificant, is it enough that God is with us? Is his goodness enough for us to put our faith and our trust in him? Well, so what happens? Well, even though Gideon realizes he's talking to God, and we'll see that in a second, even though Gideon realizes he's talking to God, he hesitates, right? So here's, here's what happens. The angel of the Lord comes and talks to Gideon, and we know that this angel probably looks like a normal person because Gideon doesn't freak out. Normally when angels show up to people in the Bible, people freak out a little bit. Gideon's just having a conversation. So probably looks like a normal person. Except that in verse 15, when Gideon is hesitating here, he says, but Lord, how can I rescue Israel? But Lord, how can I rescue Israel? Like this doesn't seem to make sense. And that English word Lord gets translated from the Hebrew word Adonai, which is a term reserved exclusively for God in the Old Testament, exclusively for Yahweh in the Hebrew Bible. So at this point, does Gideon realize that he's talking to God and not just a person or even an angel? Yes, he does. But Gideon still hesitates and he still asks for proof. In verse 17, he says, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that this is really the Lord speaking to me. And then he wants to offer a sacrifice. So I know that got a little nerdy there and I, I pushed a lot of information there. So just let's do a quick recap here. First of all, Gideon has a conversation with the angel of the Lord who tells Gideon that God is going to rescue Israel through Gideon himself. Except it's not just an angel of the Lord, it's God himself talking to Gideon, which Gideon actually kind of figures out. And we know that because he uses the word Adonai to speak to, to this person. But Gideon still hesitates to get on board still hesitates and stalls and asks God to prove that he is actually God, which even though this clearly is not the best response, I think we can understand it because, well, look, 
We talk about being honest in church a lot, right? So here it is. Sometimes what God calls us to trust him in can feel dumb, can't it? Yeah, sometimes what God calls us to trust him in can feel dumb. There, I said it. I mean, there are times when it can feel so uncomfortable and risky and we think, wait, did I hear that right? Can I just get some clarification on this? Can I, is this really you, God, talking? It can feel so destabilizing and so risky. And if you think I'm being too extreme about this, let's just look at the general everyday kind of stuff that Jesus calls us to live out as his followers. Things like love your enemies, love your enemies, not tolerate your enemies, not keep them at a distance so that you don't do anything hurtful or, or, or wrong, but love your enemies enemies, not just people that we disagree with or don't tend to like, but even your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who harm you. Have you ever tried living this out? Yeah, this is hard, right? This is extreme. This can feel um, so outrageous what Jesus asks us to follow him in. We can feel so out of place and even like we are putting ourselves at risk, putting ourselves on the line. And it can feel that way, I think, because we are so used to doing things our own way. We're conditioned. We're conditioned to do things by depending on our skills, on our politics, on our money, even on our comfort or whatever else we think is going to give us stability. That's why trusting Jesus can feel so weird and dumb and risky because It requires a different way of living and we actually need to be shaped and formed differently to do it. We need to be formed differently to trust God. And this is what happens next with Gideon. So Gideon uh, wants proof that this is God actually talking to him and he, he brings this sacrifice and God touches it with the staff and fire comes out. And then verse 22, this is what we read. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried, O sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It's all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid. You will not die. So now, Now, finally, Gideon is convinced that he is speaking to God and he is fully placing his trust in him. Okay, well, not yet, okay? Like, he's not quite there yet. Verse 25. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it, which is uh, different... um, elements that were part of that whole worship of of, of other gods and the abuse that would be wrapped up in that. Verse 26, then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully, sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his household, of his father's household, and of the people of the town. So are we seeing the picture yet? Is Gideon trusting God? Is he acting in a way that says, I believe that God is trustworthy? No, not yet. I mean, he's trying, right? Sort of. I mean, he's doing what God asked him to do, but kind of in a way where no one is going to notice, no one's going to find out. He does it at night. And again, if the Bible is anything, it certainly is honest about the people in it, right? Which I think is such an encouragement to us because it's a reminder that God can handle us not being at our best. I think that's a really good thing for us to hear. 
that God can handle us not being at our best, that God, he doesn't give up on us, that when he calls us to trust him, and we don't really, because we're not sure how, or we're not sure if this is really what he wants us to do, that he doesn't back away, that God is faithful, that he is trustworthy. And in fact, in the next part of the story, where Gideon gets ready to finally, to actually do what God has called him to do, to rescue Israel from the struggle and the oppression of the Midianites, he still asks God for two more uh, pieces of proof, two more signs to prove that this is really happening and God still doesn't back out. Here's what happens. Basically, like I said, Gideon says he needs two more pieces of proof from God and he essentially asks for a magic trick and this is where the sheep's fleece comes in. So Gideon says to God, look, I've got this fleece and I'm going to put it out tonight and if tomorrow morning the, the fleece is wet with dew but the ground around it is dry, then I'm going to trust that this is you and so God makes it happen. But is Gideon ready to trust yet? No, not yet. Gideon says, okay, so this next night, what I'm going to do, I'm going to put the fleece out again, but this time, if the fleece is dry and the ground all around it is wet with dew, then I'm going to know this is you. And God again obliges. And so now, now Gideon is in. He's ready to trust God and he's, he's ready to go. Him and his massive army of 32,000 and all, great. Now they have a fighting chance, right? Except here is how chapter 7 starts off. We're reading from verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they save themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. Now, I got to say, like, if you've ever been in a situation where you are struggling to trust God, where you're kind of like, okay, do I trust you? And, you, and then you finally take that step, it would just be really destabilizing to suddenly have the goalposts move, right? To feel like God is shifting and changing the game somehow. You know what I'm saying? I can't help but feel like this is what Gideon is feeling a little bit. But here, I think, is the point. Here, I think, is the point of this, is that when God invites us to trust him in something, he invites us to trust him in his way and not just for the outcome. Are we following that? That when God invites us to trust him in something, he invites us to trust him in his way and not just trust him for the outcome. Because God invites Gideon to be part of freeing Israel from oppression, from the struggle and the, and the abuse of the Ammonites. And after, after really being on the fence about whether Gideon can trust God, he's finally in. He's going to take that step. Him and his whole army, and he's like, all right, we've got this, let's go. And God says, yeah, that's not how we're going to do this. That is your way. That's what you're familiar with. You can't trust what you normally see done because trusting God means trusting his way. And so Gideon now has an army that goes from 32,000 down to 10,000, which I guarantee you is way less than the Midianite army has. But then we get to verse 4. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. And God gives Gideon this directive to have everyone go down and drink from this river. And the 300 men who bring water up to their mouths with their hands are told to stay, and the other 9,700 are sent home. That's an over 99% reduction in military strength. That is not your typical military strategy, is it? But notice something with me here. Gideon, Gideon isn't questioning whether this is a good idea anymore, is it? 
No, he's not. Something has, something has shifted. And now, even though the directive from God can feel a little, you know, unreasonable, and it kind of feels like it does, Gideon isn't questioning it anymore. He seems to have finally decided that he can trust God. But then this happens. I think this is so cool. But even, even though this is the case, even though there's only 300 there and, and, and Gideon is choosing to trust God, God still provides one more specific and kind of weird way of showing Gideon that he is trustworthy. Read in verse 9. That night the Lord said, Get up, go down to the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you are afraid to go attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying and you will be greatly encouraged. So Gideon took Pura and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. Verse 13, Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream and in my dream a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over and knocked it flat. His companion answered, your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all of its allies. Did we know that was in our Bible? <laughs> I mean, like, I'm no dreamologist, dream titian, those aren't real things. But look, like, that is not how I would have interpreted that dream, right? I don't know what I would have done. But here's, if you know the story, here's what happens, is that God comes through on his promise. God makes good on his promise. He frees Israel from the brutality of the Midianite oppression through Gideon and his army of 300, except they don't do anything more than blow some horns and wave some torches. That's it. So, quick recap here. God tells Gideon he's about to free Israel from oppression and he's going to do it through Gideon. Gideon is unsure about this since, I mean, he looks around and he says, it doesn't feel like you're part of anything here and he feels really insignificant and he's not really sure if he's hearing this clearly. He eventually does the first thing God directs him in, but he does it at night because he's afraid. But God doesn't back away from his promise. Well, Gideon does this double fleece test. He asks for two more pieces of evidence, proof that God is really talking and God still doesn't back away from his promise. Gideon then is finally in. He's ready to trust God and his army. And God says, actually, I need you to do this my way. I need you to trust me. And God provides one more encouraging sign through a dream that Gideon overhears of all things. So Gideon trusts God finally. And God, who never backed away from his promise and does what he said he would do, is proven to be trustworthy. So now, let me ask the question, is this a story about Gideon's faith or is it a story about God's faithfulness? Yeah, this is a story of God's faithfulness, which I think if there's a main point to this story, I think this is it, that God is trustworthy, that we can trust God. And as we said, we're looking at these stories because we believe that each one actually has the capacity and is there to point us to Jesus, to help give us some understanding of who he is and how we can follow him and trust him as well. And we can do all of that much better when we understand and hold to the truth that God is trustworthy and that we can trust God. And so to finish off today, I just wanna share with you two things about what I think all of this can mean in terms of trusting God. And then I wanna actually just look at how do we actually trust God? How do we actually practice this? So the first thing, and I've mentioned this already, but it's worth repeating, is that when it comes to trusting him, that God meets us where we're at. Did you notice that God never chastises Gideon? 
We said this, like he doesn't get mad at him or chastise him for any lack of faith. He's actually patient and willing to go along with what Gideon needs so that God can bring Gideon to a place of faith, so he can bring him to a place of trust. And God is incredibly patient and incredibly accommodating in all of this. And I say this because it's important since we can read a story like this and actually feel guilty that, oh, I don't have enough faith, I don't trust God enough in my life. Maybe we, maybe we bring that on ourselves. Maybe you've had someone say that to you, that you, don't just, you just don't trust God enough. But this isn't actually a story that, of guilt, of trying to push us into trusting God more, is it? No. This is actually a story that encourages us to have faith in Jesus because he is trustworthy and to recognize that wherever we are in our trust of Jesus, whether it's a lot or a little, that he will meet us there. He will meet us there. We actually have a word for this. It's called grace. And this means that whether you have loads of faith and trust in God or whether you have next to none, that God will meet you where we're at so that we can become more trusting of him. That is what this is about. And this is true for any of us listening right now, whether we have already been following Jesus or whether we're not there yet, it encourages us to feel free to ask our questions, to check whether who Jesus is and what he says about himself and reality is true. Uh, We just are invited to see what makes sense and does this make sense? Is who Jesus says, does it line up with reality? And this could be a whole sermon on its own, but the Bible never asks us to have blind faith. Yeah, the Bible never asks us or invites us to blind faith. The Bible's expectation and assumption is always that we will put our faith in God, that we will put our faith in Jesus based on his track record. So whether you're struggling for faith, whether you're full of faith or whether you're just full of questions, know that Jesus meets us where we're at so that he can bring us to a point of faith and trust in him. So that's the first thing, that God is incredibly patient and accommodating to Gideon to bring him to a point of trust and he will do that with us as well. And the second thing that this means is that Trusting God requires action. Trusting God requires action. We can't actually trust with just words. It always requires actions. And we know this already. This isn't something new. This isn't a new revelation for anyone. We know that trusting in words isn't trust, that we actually need uh, actions in that. Think of a trust fall, right? This is, this is what a trust fall is. Have you done a trust fall? Have you seen them done? Maybe you've watched the trust fall fails online because honestly, they're kind of funny. But the trust fall, it captures something so significant. It captures this truth that trusting someone, actually trusting someone, is really an act of surrender. That it's an act of surrender to truly put your faith in someone else because the difference between saying you trust someone and actually putting our trust in someone is that we put our well-being in their hands. That's the difference. It's sort of a a surrender of our way of doing things and potentially of our well-being. And this is what it means to trust God as well, to surrender our way and put our well-being into the hands of God. And I bring this up simply because following Jesus is an act of surrender. Following Jesus is an act of surrender. Jesus actually says that following him is like dying to yourself so you can live a completely new life. It's learning over and over again to trust Jesus when he tells us things like, I want you to love your enemy. 
I want you to love your enemy. And then to actually do what he's inviting us to do over and over again and be formed to be more like Jesus by doing things like we talk about here at Bethany, like connecting up with God daily in relationship through prayer, through scripture reading, through other spiritual practices. We connect up with God our Father. We journey with other disciples of Jesus in in, uh, open and vulnerable relationships, actually sharing our lives with one another. We connect up with God daily. We journey with others in close community and then we serve out in our spheres of influence in our communities with kindness and compassion and inviting anyone who is open to listen to come and trust and follow Jesus as well. So how do we do this then? How do we um, actually follow Jesus? Because sometimes it's hard to know how to do that. So how do we actually do this? Well, I think the first thing is that we just listen. We just pay attention to how God might be leading us because though I don't think we should expect the angels of the Lord to come talk to us in person like Gideon did, I do think we should expect the Holy Spirit to speak to us because he does. And whether we already know and follow Jesus or whether we're just open to hearing from him, the Holy Spirit does and will speak to us and will invite us to follow and trust uh, Jesus for his love and everything he has for us. A love that he brings us that actually draws us out of suffering, out of brokenness, into wholeness and a new way of living. And what this will look like for you, I actually don't know. It's going to be somewhat different for all of us. So I can't say what it's going to be for you, but I can tell you what this has looked like for me for the past several months. And no, I'm sorry, this isn't going to be a story that makes one of your pastors look good and spiritual. (laughs) Um, If you need your pastors to actually have it all together and be able to follow Jesus perfectly, I feel like I have to tell you, this may not be the church for you, right? Like we just want to follow Jesus as best we can, but we want to be honest and vulnerable about where we're at with that. So for me, here's where I've been. I've been much more in the space of Gideon, actually, in terms of trusting God. I've been much more in the space of Gideon. I've been for months feeling like God is trusting, uh, is calling me to trust that he cares for me, like actually cares about me and wants to form me more and that God has been inviting me to actually trust him more so that we can do some deeper soul searching, so that we can do some spiritual formation and self-reflection. I don't know exactly what to call it, but I know it's there. I know God has been calling me into this and I've been holding off on this actually for months and months because I'm hesitant and I'm unsure and mostly because I'm afraid of what God is going to tell me. I'm afraid. I I haven't been trusting God. Because here's the thing. If if this line is kind of like good and healthy and stable, I'm like, I I hope I'm here. I'm like, can I just be above the line? I hope I'm here. I want people to think I'm here, but I'm desperately afraid that I'm actually down here. And honestly, I don't even know what here, here, and here means exactly. I just know that I'm afraid of if I, if I open up to what God has to say, that it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult and I, I'm afraid of what he's going to say. But then, then I go ahead and decide to preach a sermon on Gideon. And guess what? It's pretty hard to get ready to preach to all of you about trusting God and not realize that I have to do the same, that I need to surrender my way and even my sense of security to what I knew I was hearing God call me in. So I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm practicing a few different things to invite God in, in in prayer and in relationship with other people. I'm working on it. I'm not there yet, but uh, 
that's where I'm at. And this leaves us with the first thing, is just that we need to listen. We need to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. We need to listen to what God is leading us in. And the other important thing that we need to do together is we, we do it in community. In terms of listening and trusting in God, we do this in community because we learn to trust best and we are formed best with other people who are learning to trust and follow Jesus as well. This is why for us at Bethany, our Jesus-centered communities are so, so important because they cultivate a relational way for us to move from just learning about Jesus and even past just agreeing with Jesus to actually be changed and to live like Jesus. And our Jesus-centered communities are actually for all of us, from anyone who's been with Jesus a long time to someone who's just, um, you know, curious and interested to know what Jesus has to say. These really are for everyone. So for our kids, we have Kids Zone on Sunday mornings, an incredible ministry there. For our junior high and high school students, so grade 7 to uh, grade 12, actually for, for youth, it's grade 6 to grade 12. On Tuesdays, we have our youth ministry. Uh, so much care and support and community happens there. And then, of course, for grade 7 to grade 12 on Thursdays, we have our landing, which is really a safe place for students to process life and the struggles that come along with it. And then, of course, for adults, so anyone high, uh, past high school and up, we have Celebrate Recovery, which is where we have this amazing and wonderful extra support where we can work through our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups, the aspects of life that have brought us down, whether they've been because of our decisions or because they've been put on us. It's just a beautiful community working through the hurts of life with following Jesus. And, of course, we have our home churches, which is where we make following Jesus practical and relational. We just make it about every day following Jesus. And our fall season, 10-week uh, fall season, is just around the corner, and you can actually sign up for a home church right now online. You can come talk to some of our staff. We can even help you start a home church. So if you're not connected in at least one of these ministries, and you can even serve in these ministries, maybe, maybe this is the time that you consider connecting and joining into one of those as well. And after both of those things, after we listen to the Holy Spirit and then we share in community, well, we get to the point where we just have to do what Jesus calls us to do, what he's leading us into. Because as we say here, when Jesus calls us to do something, we should just do it. And I know that can feel a little scary, right? That can feel a little scary. But remember, Jesus meets us where we're at and brings us to a point of trust. Because if we're going to trust Jesus, because at, at, at some point, we have to actually act on it. We have to surrender our way and surrender our well-being to what he's calling us to, both in the outcome and in the process. So my question is, what is Jesus calling you to? What is Jesus calling you into or calling you to trust him with? Maybe it's an act of faith like baptism. Maybe he's calling you to be baptized to take that, that first or next step. Maybe it's something like reaching out to a family member that you haven't talked to all through COVID for all sorts of reasons. Maybe it's just that you're interested in Jesus. You don't know him yet. You're not following him yet. But you're feeling this pull to actually say, I want in, I want to follow you. Maybe that is your step of obedience that Jesus is calling you into. Or maybe it's to start sharing what you have with others. Your, your time, maybe money, maybe your skill, maybe your attention. Just some or a lot of what you have for the sake of others, to sacrifice some of what you have to benefit others and let them know that Jesus loves them. Or maybe, maybe it's just to rest intentionally, to take some time for self-care and make regular time to connect with God. It could be any number of things could be any number of things. And I know some of us are wondering, well, 
How do I know if this is really Jesus leading me into this? Well, again, this is why we do this in community. We do this in community because we can say, hey, here's what I think God is leading me to. Here's what I'm hearing. Does this sound like Jesus? Does this look like Jesus? Can we pray about this together? Can we talk about this? We do this together. We do this together. We do this with faith because God is trustworthy and we can trust God. So we want to follow him in that. So my, my hope and my prayer for you is simply that we can find the courage and the peace this week to trust God, God's ways and surrender ourselves to whatever it is he's leading us into. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that we have this promise. We have this promise that you meet us where we're at so that you can work us uh, to a point of trust in you, that you can bring us to a trust in you. Thank you that you do this patiently and that you accommodate us. Help us to have the courage and the willingness to trust you with whatever you're leading us in. Help us to listen to you this week. Help us to share with people we trust that know you um, so we can understand better what you're leading us into. And give us the ability to take one or more steps of trusting you this week and just see that you come through on your promises, that you are trustworthy and that we can trust you. So we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.